Now I have the honor of introducing our next writer. Um, I get to read too. I'll get those glasses out. Yeah. Genealogist, family historian, and fiction author Patricia Steele was born in Woodland, California and moved to Oregon when her mother remarried nine years later. Then she became a nomad as an adult living in eight cities, five states, and 11 houses before settling in Arizona closer to her roots. She speaks English, a bit of Spanish, and a touch of French. Please welcome genealogist Patricia Steele. God, I wrote all that stuff. <laughs> um, I live in Casa Grande full-time. I've, I've written for all my life. I started writing on toilet paper. <laughs> I know, my aunt gave me a, a tablet and I started writing better. And I write a little bit of adventure with a touch of romance. I don't take them past the bedroom door. But you can imagine the rest. And uh, I do travel memoirs, and I love genealogy. So I followed my grandmother's steps all through Spain and lived there for three months and met family I didn't know existed. So I've had really a fun, wonderful adventure. And uh, before all of this started, I had um, <clears throat> a little girl that was born with cystic fibrosis and in 1969. <coughs> And uh, it's taken me 40 years to write this memoir that I'm going to talk to you about tonight. It's called Fairy Dust to Daffodils, because I, in my mind, thought she was born in fairy dust, and I lost her when the daffodils started to bloom. So, um, Fairy Dust to Daffodils, it's a long way from golf, but I thought I'd read just a little bit. The, the book itself is all full of good stuff and happy things about uh, Christina, because and I wrote it because I wanted my two children to know their big sister. But what happened uh, when I finished it last year is that it was actually very therapeutic. I, I didn't realize that all these years I'd been bouncing around everything in my head that I wanted to remember to put in it when I wrote it someday. And then when I finished it, I thought it was just like... It was done. I'm, I'm happy I did it. So I'm going to read the prologue, which is a little bit sad, but the rest of the book is really good. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll read two little instances uh, that, that talk about how sensitive my little girl was as far as uh, learning that her two siblings did not have cystic fibrosis, because that was really special. So I'm, I think I can get through all this. Uh, as it turns out, Today, February 25th, is the day that I lost her. So it was very odd that this was the day that, um, that we chose to do this. So, the long, stark corridors echoed with silence. I thought sitting alone would ease my anxiety, my weariness, but it didn't. I'd never felt so alone in my entire life. Of course, the solitude was only in my mind. I could hear sporadic whisperings of soft conversation drift towards me as I sat in my daughter's hospital room. Antiseptic scented the room along with the odor of, uh, from her IV tape and more. The nurse's steady vigilance at the nearby medical station did, however, 
give me that needed measure of assurance that I craved. They had all become our friends, practically family, during Chrissy's hospital stay at Dornbecker Children's Hospital in Portland, Oregon. They watched over Chrissy like mother ducks and monitored her breathing closely. They also watched over me and helped me when I faltered. My eyes wandered for the hundredth time to the solitary bed in the corner of the cream-colored room. The table overflowed with get-well cards, as did the window ledge and, <clears throat> and stark wall above the narrow bed where the lo my lovely sleeping child lay. A vibrant red amaryllis sat in the window still, sill against the backdrop of a snow-covered mountain. The nurses measures, measured its growth daily to entertain her, and on a clear day the view of Mount Hood took one's breath away. Tonight, it was Chrissy's breath that I worried about. Tonight, her small sleeping face was calm and gentle. I marveled at the innocence and vulnerability I saw stamped on her soft, even features lit by the glow of a nightlight. Her frail body was nearly swallowed by the pillow in the surrounding bundle of bedding. Her hair lay scattered across her pillow like golden strands of sunshine, a beautiful and unfair contrast to her ashen freckled face, which was smooth as silk. Awake, she had vivid blue almond-shaped eyes that sat above high cheekbones and one dimpled cheek. Her eyes usually twinkled with excitement, but they were not twinkling tonight, and they hadn't twinkled in a long time. I sighed into the dark room and glad my mother was sat nearby. She was my rock. Her face was etched with sadness. It certainly didn't ease the stone lodged in my belly. She slept fitfully, each of us afraid to leave. Glancing back toward Chrissy, I smiled. She was short for her age, like I was, but she didn't seem to mind. Despite being just a touch under nine years old, a little wise woman inhabited her body. A gifted child, sometimes set apart by her classmates, she felt loved by too many friends to count. Mostly, they protected her and frowned at those who mimicked her gut-wrenching coughs. Chrissy has cystic fibrosis. The Mayo Clinic defined the children's disease as a life-threatening disorder that causes severe damage to the lungs and the digestive system. It's an inherited condition and affects the cells that produce mucus, sweat, and digestive juices. These secreted fluids are normally thin and slippery, but for Chrissy, a defective gene caused the secretions to become thick and sticky. Instead of acting as a lubricant, the secretions plugged up her tubes, ducts, and passageways, especially in the lungs and the pancreas. Tonight, my girl's coughing spasms had diminished. I'm relieved. Doctors have been known to be wrong. Miracles do happen. I shook my head to push yesterday's conversation from my mind. Dr. Gratch's face had been pinched. Her eyes had been wet. I refuse to give up. Not yet. No matter what anyone tells me, I won't. But I saw her lips move, telling me to face the heartbreaking reality. Tears brewed. In 22 days, she should be blowing out nine birthday candles. Yes, she would. A sigh left me without permission as I squeezed my eyes shut to hold back the tears that promised to swamp me, but they broke loose anyway. Flushed, I swept them away as fear trumped the anger and frustration I felt bubbling up inside for nearly nine years. Cobwebs muddied my thoughts. I cried for Chrissy, for myself, for my family, 
for the unfairness of seeing my child's pain and terrible discomfort. I cried for the scientists struggling to find the cure for CF, for doctors fighting to keep patients alive, but most of all, I cried for Chrissy and all the places she might never see and all the things she might never learn and the emotions she might never feel. She'd been through such a rugged ordeal during this last sojourn in the hospital. Despite many hospitalizations, it never got easier for her or those of us who loved her so well. I sat back to use the quiet time to survey my sleeping little girl. Hearing her gentle snuffling relaxed me in the darkened room. The hallway's pale shaft of light somehow managed to throw its soft beams across Chrissy's velvety features and reddish blonde hair. I maneuvered myself around in my chair, which seemed my home away from home lately, to afford me a better view of her. I shivered at the memory of Dr. Gratch's empathetic face. Our earlier conversation couldn't be real, I told myself. I wanted to vent my anger, kick the wall, and blame everyone and everything. I wanted to scream at her. The Polynesian princess, now a cystic fibrosis specialist, had enfolded me in her arms knowing I'd wanted to run away. And we both cried. Helplessness shook my soul. So quiet, so serious, and so true. Chrissy will not be leaving the hospital this time. She held my hand in both of hers and looked into my face, her sad brown eyes willing me to respond. Do you understand what I'm saying? I tried to shake away the remembrance of her sorrowful face just inches from my own. Tonight, the small hand I clasped tightly in my own was soft, smooth, and puffy from water retention. I placed my hand over her small chest and felt her heart beating, faintly imagining the medication streaming through her body from the despised IV tubes. Her fingers smelled faintly of medicine and other hospital scents. The small broken veins in her hand were surrounded by yellowed, bruised areas with the unmistakable red pinprick centered within each spot. There were several. She'd been in the hospital for 20 days. Okay. Jolted back to reality. <laughs> That's what it said, really. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I stared at the red pricks and felt each one stabbing into my hands, my arms, and my heart. My mind was dipping and dancing, and the halls were quieter now. They echoed a silence that screamed across the spaces as I sat in the darkened room, filled with the sound of my daughter's labored, rasping breath. Her small hand clutched mine, a handhold of security she no longer believed in. Her long lashes brushed her cheeks toward the tiny freckles that sprinkled over her nose. In my, her my head, I heard her say, Mommy, I love you. Please don't leave me. I closed my eyes and smoothed her sleeping face with my free hand. All the while, the chatterbox within my mind was whispering. She will never run free, go home, share our lives, grow older, love as an adult, or have a child, or any of the things my heart demanded. The night dragged on, and unconsciously, I began to rock. My mother moved in her sleep, pulled the blanket up to her chin. The day had been riddled with heart-stopping experiences, and I was numb from the emotional trauma. I laid my head back on the chair, feeling last three weeks slip through me as I tried to reason with the facts, fantasies, and lost dreams. I closed my weary eyes and turned my mind to the first 
surreal moments of her life far away from the bittersweet sadness of today. And then the rest of the book is all good stuff. And uh, I wanted to say she, she had a wonderful um, personality and a very sweet, funny sense of humor. She had us laughing a lot. But two of the things that I wanted to read was when she found out that her little brother, Frank, didn't have CF. One day when Frankie was about a month old, I could see something was on her mind. She followed me into the bedroom after I'd nursed him, tailed me to the cupboard to pull out diapers, and then his clothes. As I prepared him for a nap, I studied her, and after placing him into the crib, I saw her face. She shook her head and stared at Frankie through the crib railing. Mama, where's Frankie's mist tent? I froze a moment, unsure how to answer her. And then I turned to her and said, Frankie doesn't have a mist tent. You have one because you have CF. And then I caught my breath, afraid of her response. Her forehead creased a moment. She stared at him again through the railings and then back to me. And Frankie doesn't have CF like me? She I tried not to cry while I nodded my head no. I had no idea what she would say or do next and hoped I had the strength to answer her. She threw her small arms around my legs and hugged my knees. She was crying. Before I could say anything further, she said, I'm so happy that Frankie doesn't have CF2 and no mist ten and no coughing and no pills. And she began to blubber into my legs and I just sat on the floor and pulled her into my arms to let her cry it out. There are no words to describe that day when her little body shuddered in my arms. <laughs> and then when her little sister was born. <clears throat> Chrissy was dancing a jib. I wasn't prepared to have a, a third baby that fast. So my babies are like um, 17 months apart. So Chrissy was delighted, a big sister to a boy and a girl. A baby brother and a baby sister. The day she asked me if Audrey had CF, I was more prepared for it than I was when she asked me about Frankie. She looked at me sideways while I was changing Audrey. Mama, she's like Frankie, isn't she? At first, I was confused by her question, but when I saw the serious look on her face, I knew what she was asking. CF? Uh-huh. She won't need, need a Miss 10 either, will she? Oh, I lost it. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that's what I said. I could see, her, see tears brewing in her eyes, and I pulled her close to me. Audrey had a test at the hospital. Remember when I told you that CF babies taste like salt when you kiss their foreheads? She nodded solemnly. Do you want to give her the test, sweetheart? Chrissy's brows rose, and she looked between me and her baby sister. Without a word, she leaned over and kissed Audrey's forehead and I saw her tongue dart out quickly to taste the baby's eyebrow. The smile on her face when she turned to me brought tears. It glowed with love and excitement and joy. I'd never seen the look on her face before. Then she leaned down, hugged Audrey, and nuzzled her baby cheek with her own. Oh, good, she whispered. Sometimes when we lose people that we love so much, I think they come back and say hello in a lot of different ways. The newest thing that happened to me was I just bought a car last month, got the license plate, screwed it on, and I looked at the numbers and walked away and I came back and I looked at it again and it was her birthday. Oh. Oh. 
You just never know. Just... So now I would like to introduce my good friend, Lynn Anders. Oh, let me see if I know anything new about you. Lynn Anders is a new author who lives in the heat of Arizona most of the year with her husband and friends and plays with her grandchildren whenever possible. She began her writing career at a very early age when she created a simple poem and was asked to read it before her school assembly. The writing bug possessed her from that one magic moment on. However, the need to earn a living pulled her away from serious writing. Instead of creating characters, she spent years in the accounting and property management industry and wrote poems only on occasion. However, after she retired, she decided it was time to return to her first love. The outcome of that desire can be found on Amazon. Lynn enjoys writing about small-town America, possibly because of her Midwest background, and believes friendships and lasting relationships weather the storm, whether easier when the pace and distractions from large cities are not part of the equation. Lynn Anders.